liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your host for the evening. I hope you enjoy your flight. Uh, today, I had on Dan Taylor of Young Americans for Liberty. I have had on some detractors from Young Americans for Liberty, just in the sense that they don't agree with some of the current management or they think the trajectory of things have gotten off course. Uh, I think it's only fair that you get the other side of that argument, and Dan Taylor makes a compelling one. Uh, I really think that the work that they're doing is invaluable. And you'll get to judge for yourself if you think he's the real deal. I certainly do. I certainly believe in pushing our ideas through the collegiate ranks. I think that they're the most important activists out there. And we'll see what you think. We'll see if you think that they're on the right track. Because it sounds to me like they are, based off my discussion with them today. So curious to see what the feedback is on this one. Anyways, tonight's episode is brought to you by Expat Money Show. First, you can go to expatmoneyshow.com. You can uh, check out his show there, or you can look in the description for the link to his YouTube channel. It is Mikkel Thorup. He has been on my show before a couple months ago. Uh, people really enjoyed that episode. He is a complete wizard when it comes to expatriation. Expatriation just means leaving the country, moving abroad. Uh, and it, unfortunately, is a fairly complex process. You, there's a lot of, especially depending on which country you want to go to, deciding on which country you want to go to, the tax ramifications, the migration uh, rules, the, the way to get citizenship, all of that. This guy has done it. He has traveled the, the world for the past 20, uh, 20 plus years, I think, uh, and he's just a wizard at it. So stop spinning your wheels trying to figure it out on your own. Trust me. Check out Expat Money Show and that's your shortcut to figuring out what expatriation is all about. Go to expatmoneyshow.com or subscribe on YouTube. Link down below. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, everybody, to another special episode of Liberty Lockdown. I am joined by Dan Taylor today. He works for Young Americans for Liberty. Dan, for those that aren't familiar with you, if you could give us just like a minute or two, path to liberty, who are you? Yeah, man. So uh, I, I'm really just a grassroots kid. At the end of the day, I started off at Taylor University with my YAL chapter, uh, just running around telling people about the great Ron Paul. Uh, from there, I, uh, I, I started getting started in the state level as a state chair and then a region level. And I just kept working my way up. I, I mean, I eventually dropped out of college to get involved at Young Americans for Liberty at a staff level, uh, go from uh, biomed to devoting my life to Liberty, uh, and that's where I am now. I was one of the first three in the original operation with the door uh, shop in a, in a sense, and now we're at um, like 229 uh, in our legislator coalition. So we've been moving from there. Uh, after we started off Operation with the Door, I also moved on and am now the vice president of campus, overseeing everything we're doing on the college campuses, Revolution 2022, student rights campaign, essentially organizing a bunch of uh, crazy, radical, libertarian students to uh, fighting back against the tyranny they see on their own campuses. I love it. Well, you, the reason I wanted to have you on primarily is because you are a much more optimistic person than my normal guest, and I am also fairly pessimistic near term. I've made it very explicit that <laughs> long term, I'm pretty damn optimistic. But short term, I am super nervous. Uh, I think I probably already have the answer to this in that you work with a bunch of young, fired up, 
kids that all value liberty and and that probably boosts your spirits is there something more to your optimism or is that the primary driving force well, I think that's something to look at. I think there's also a lot of uh, victories that have been happening at the more local and local level, which is great. Uh, one thing that's ironic, I think, is, is one reason I'm so optimistic is that there are so many pessimistic people. So uh, there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a teeter-totter. Yeah, a little bit of a contrarian <laughs> going on here. But I mean, the fact that there's so many people who are starting to wake up to this, I think is something that's worth looking at. Also, if you look at the national level, people are getting more and more radicalized uh, on both directions, which I think is a good thing. And also both parties are beginning to shift and change their uh, alignments in a sense, right? So, you know, past five years, now uh, we have a pro-war, uh, pro-spending, pro-police Democrats out of nowhere. Uh, and now suddenly we have a right wing that tends to be anti-war. Uh, and don't quote me on that, uh, but, uh, uh, as well as uh, just kind of reshifting how they're aligning themselves. And uh, I don't think either necessary party is, is, is correct on this whole thing, but I think the fact that these parties for the first time in decades are starting to realign themselves against each other is showing that the population is becoming more radicalized, is starting to fight back, is starting to hold politicians accountable unlike they were beforehand. Um, and, and let's not forget, like the Federal Reserve was created in 1913. It's not like everything has been hunky-dory since then. But uh, I think right now, just due to the information age, as well as uh, uh, just kind of a lot of people re being reinvigorated by the ideas of individual rights, we're starting to see that pushback. That's, that's some, I think that's the only reason we're starting to see so much stuff that people are angry and pessimistic about. It's not because it's happening now. It's been happening. It's always been happening. The government's always been bad, and they've been, uh, you know, uh, putting us for a run for our money for decades, but just now due to the information age, people are starting to wake up, be angry about it, be pessimistic about it, and hold people accountable. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's one reason that I'm, I'm just kind of optimistic about this whole thing, but also, I mean, look at what's happening, I think, with our youth. Uh, so many people, I, I personally feel a, a reinvigoration of the Ron Paul revolution. I, I want to see if you feel that same way, but oh, our yeah. students on the ground are, are, I mean, mad as hornets. They are going out there, getting petitions, fighting back against the, I mean, absolute Marxists and communists and uh, just straight authoritarians on our college campuses, changing policies, including COVID mandates, including free speech, which has been, those policies have been around forever. Uh, we're starting to gain a lot of momentum on it. Uh, and even gun rights on campus is something that's starting to pop up, which might've been seen as insane a few years back. But uh, people are mad, they're getting involved, uh, both the state level, campus level, across the board, uh, there is a the simmering of a grassroots movement coming up that's based off all these people who are angry, who are pessimistic, that uh, have finally seen the failure, not just in our current leaders, but in the entire system that put these leaders in check. So uh, I'm excited to see where the movement goes these next five, 10 years, because I think we are uh, running downhill. Yeah, I, and, and I agree with you, you know, five, 10 years. I think that's that's where my optimism starts to kick in. It's the next two, <laughs> it's the next yeah. two years where I'm like, holy shit. This whole thing, and, and I think from a from a libertarian vantage point, I've always just prayed that that the libertarian message would take root prior to the complete collapse of civilization, you know. And mm -hmm. and unfortunately, it feels more and more like we are only going to be listened to when times are very very tough. And you know whether you can spin this positively or you can spin it negatively but times are getting really really tough and they're going to get much much harder in the near term and i think mm -hmm. that's why people are I, I think that's part of this invigoration process it's always like it's the same thing with not trusting the media it's like well it's important for cohesion of society that we trust 
you know, uh, the power structures, the people that give us information, the people that tell us about you know, economic figures. Like it's it's important that you have trust there. But from our vantage point, because these people are such liars, it's better for us if people don't trust them. So it it's always a double edged sword. And I, I love that you and Michael Malice are capable of spinning this into a real optimistic outlook for the the uh, longer term future. It's just man, man, am I nervous? Like. Spidey, <laughs> Spidey senses tingling about yep. the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Tell me, tell me uh, that we're not going to eat shit economically. If you can tell me that, I'll, I'll believe you're a real optimist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a Democrat, so there's, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> things, okay, that's uh, don't catch me wrong. Just because I'm an optimist doesn't mean that I think things are good. Things are very, very bad. Over the past, okay. what, two years, yeah. we've increased the uh, our total debt by uh, at least one third, fastest spending rate in history. Uh, we are setting up to a potential of a World War III just because we're playing uh, we're playing games with Ukraine as well as the NATO pack, as well as, you know, which is all of this is based obviously off the Federal Reserve to make some money off of our suffering. Uh, inflation's going crazy. Uh, COVID tyranny still reigns, believe it or not. Uh, and if, if it doesn't rain in your area, then the impacts of it still linger. So there's a lot of things that are very bad, but that's also why these people are, I think, are beginning to stand up and fight back yeah. for this. Well, but what, uh, what is, we, what has got to long term. Yeah, yeah. What has been your experience on the college campus? Like, do you do you have? I don't know if it's public knowledge, but do you have figures on how many people are actually involved with Young Americans for Liberty, or just involved broadly with Liberty Coalition type collegiate organizations? Yeah. So in, in total, we have about twenty five thousand dues paying members, six thousand wow. of which are active on college campuses. Uh, and uh, when when we're on college campuses, the experience, especially past three years, has gone ballistic. I think a lot of people who've been on the ground can kind of understand that. And a lot of the and, and just as the parties are shifting, a lot of the local groups are shifting, too, just in the sense of, you know, what do people believe in? Young Americans for Liberty Day One came out as hard anti-COVID people. Uh, even during the, the, the two week lockdown, we were one of the few companies that didn't lock down against uh, uh I'll say, I don't want to say unlawfully, but I will say that we showed up to work. Uh, and uh, we also showed up to protest and we're helping organize protests up front. And I think our college campuses, uh, our college kids were, were doing the same thing. We launched the student rights campaign over COVID because we used to use these tactics of organizing petitions, organizing rallies, uh, you know, essentially getting kids angry at their administration to apply change, uh, grassroots confrontational politics. We started to apply that to more issues on the college campus, including um, I mean, COVID stuff was massive. Uh, you know, it, it, I mean, each of these college campuses are uh, essentially little Marxist indoctrination camps uh, in which uh, these students are being taught that with uh, with the threat of the, the future of your entire career on top of that, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of debt is being held over your hand to just comply and just follow the rules. So essentially, uh, we're trying to teach our students to, to fight back uh, put some pain on the people who are doing that to you and, and change the change that uh, change those rules based off of, you know, just the grassroots uprising. So we even stopped um, a mask mandate, Montana State University. Dylan Dean had this massive rally delivered. Uh, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but it was over a thousand petitions and it was a pretty small school. Uh, and it, it got some really big coverage. They even sent out police to tell him to stop doing what he was doing. And he essentially said, no, I have a right to be here. Um, and, you know, uh, we got that mask mandate removed. Sacred Heart University just ended a COVID vaccination uh, mandate by doing a lot of the same tactics. Uh, and, and now that we set the system up, our students are kind of running with it. I, this is what I, lo I love talking about student rights campaign so much because it's just so grassroots. Like it, it, we're helping organize in some of the graphic designs, but it's really the students on the ground that are the, the, one, the drivers of this. Um, at, uh, at, uh, in South Dakota School of Mines, there it is. Uh, they, at, the, at their place, 
uh, it's a tiny school, a quarter of the students they got onto this petition, they've held multiple rallies where they have, you know, a hundred people with American flags and Yao flags and they're carrying these petitions and they show up and they say, we want our gun rights back and demand they remove the, the gun free zone so that they can open carry assault rifles on campus. So that's, that's Yo. how, uh, I mean, it's part of the Overton window, right? You need a, we need people who are going out there and being so crazy that you're saying we need assault rifles on college campuses that they say, okay, maybe we shouldn't keep pushing gun control, right? And that's what we're right. trying to train our students to do, get comfortable in being uncomfortable and inspire change through those, you know, Alinsky-style tactics. Yeah, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of, like, in times of tyranny, it's vitally important that you become so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something like that. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I, and, I mean, this, is, this has always been my gripe with the Libertarian Party, and obviously the Ron Paul Revolution took over the Libertarian Party recently, so this is all prior, uh, mm. I don't know, critiques. Uh, I'm not applying this to the, the modern iteration, but I was so frustrated that, that the LP wasn't able to get the young people. Like, it just, it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, I know, I know that young people by and large are fairly socially accepting like they're they're more progressive in that way which obviously the libertarian party leaves openings for people like that it doesn't require you to be uh socially liberal but it, it allows you to be and and also they're anti-war and also they want to have some semblance of you know economic up you know uh, uh ability to rise and it's like this is all these are all you know our this is us this uh, you are us why why do you hate us? Why are you not one of us? Why are you not with us? It's, it was always so confusing to me. And Young Americans for Liberty was like the organization that, that really, from my vantage point, came out of nowhere um, and, and lit that fire and took advantage of the, the collegiate energy. Um, why, why were you guys able to do it, whereas the LP was not? <laughs> uh, wow, that, that's an interesting question. So uh, th this is what I think. The immediate thing I thought of when you were talking about that, all this is that the youth don't trust the status quo. Uh, I think that kind of goes down to everything that we understand. So when we talk about branding, messaging, and how we recruit, we have to recognize the youth don't trust what's been working or what has been, quote unquote, working, right? Sure. Because, uh, I mean, if you think about it, we're selling our children's futures down the river, right? And I think we should be talking more about the Federal Reserve and talking more about how that's liquidating the assets we're supposed to give our children and talking more about how, you know, when your house inflated from uh, when you bought it to $150,000 to half million dollars over the course of 10 years, uh, that might be your blessing, but it's your child's curse, right? So uh, we need, we need uh, if you want to capture the youth, you have to recognize that uh, the status quo is not an effective way to work. And I think uh, in a lot of ways, um, some groups, some organizations, some people who were trying to capture onto the, the status quo of, of libertarianism, but at, at the very fact of being libertarian is you are not the status quo. You don't believe in the status quo. You don't believe the status quo should exist in the first place. So that's how you need to be messaging, focus on individual rights first. Uh, and when you build out from your core principles from there, people will follow. The message of the only role of the government is life, liberty, and property protection. That's a good message that people will follow. And you can you just need to start off from that core root and, and build off from that. And people people will follow. I think too often we try to uh we try to uh, uh what's what's the what's the best way to do this? We try to hide our principles, right? Yes. I, I'm not interested in hiding our principles. I'm I'm interested in uh I'm coming out uh, uh almost brazenly with our principles and having people fall from that. That's that's exactly why I love you guys. <laughs> I mean, because that's obvious <laughs> that's obviously my my life mantra is like. I am unabashedly pro pro liberty. Like that's that's how I rock. That's my life. And and I 
and I don't see any reason to be ashamed of it. Uh, that's I think that's the most offensive thing about the prior iteration of the LP is that they seemed to be genuinely like not comfortable with their own belief system. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with it, why the fuck would anyone listen to you? Like, you know, like I'm just being honest. Like I don't listen to people that are like, well, you know, uh, yeah, you're, I mean, this is what I think, but like, you're probably right. Like what, what? you're not gonna, you're not gonna persuade anyone with that kind of outlook. It's just stupid. Um, so anyways, I really appreciate that you guys, uh, you, you are basically like the Mises caucus, but on the college campuses is kind of how I perceive you. You guys really, you took the the all of the things that we wanted to see: the Ron Paul revolution, the end the Fed chance, the uh, the bold messaging, the unabashed uh, belief system, and just you ran with it. So uh, I just want to commend you guys on that. It's really really important. I think that like if you're if you're going to have any hope of actually turning this country around, it's going it's going to require the youth. And unfortunately, there's this divide in the youth where it's like you're either now kind of you are the counterculture in the sense that you're you're liberty minded, which is kind of weird, or <laughs> or you've embraced basically cultural Marxism, where it's all about you know whatever your sexual orientation is and like <laughs> and your race and and oppression and division and like all these terrible things. And that's those are like the two kind of battling, I guess you would say countercultures, even though the counterculture of the cultural Marxism is really not counter anymore. That's, that's, I mean, if, if you have fortune 500 companies that are all messaging to you, you're not the mm. counterculture. I'm sorry. Like you, you've yeah. been lied to. Um, so is the, is the war being won on the college campuses? Is the, is the backlash that is, you know, anti-woke pro-liberty, is it, is it actually stemming the tide how how does that how is that playing out? Because I haven't been on a college campus in a long time. I'm just wondering if it's improving or degrading more rapidly. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think part of this is is again trying to be that uh, not trusting the status quo, right? So I think that goes both ways. I think some people see it and and they are reaching for a more principled, uh, linear understanding of of, uh, of philosophy and principles, right? And I think people are looking for that as a way to fix the current problem that country sees as a whole, uh, they just come to different conclusions, uh, which is which is interesting. So I always thought that the, the most two principled portions on the political compass, if you will, is the, uh, is the bottom right and the top left. Uh, now, obviously, we aren't the top left, but at least they're consistent. At least they uh, they realize their principles and they suggest that everything should be in the lines of this uh, this layering of collectives, right, is, is how yes. they go about it. And it's really ironic to me because they don't defend what they suggest they defend. And the closer you get to pure communism, the more you see that. In their minds, they, they they break people into certain groups. They value certain groups in different area or in, in to different value sets, and then they uh, work as hard as they can to ensure that the people in the groups are in the right segments and uh, exterminate those who are not in the right segments. So uh, you know, and, and, close and, you and not a lot, of, not a lot, of, not a lot of time passes, and all of a sudden, everyone is in the segment that has to be destroyed. But we don't have to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's just, that's, uh, that's exactly how it works. And it's so funny because they talk about, you know, the, my, the, those who are, uh, uh, I mean, what, what's the words they use? They, they always try to help those who are disadvantaged, who are oppressed. They're trying to use all that language. But at the end of the day, uh, the minority, the smallest minority is always the individual. And that's the people who are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum that are focusing on ensuring that all those collectives are essentially uh, dispersed and uh, set to just individual rights at its core. So long way to put that, but a, a point of being is I think it's turning into those two extremes as the political climate, right? 
um, it, which is in one way a good thing because I think the Liberty Voice is now a, an option. Uh, <laughs> where no, that, that's it, great for it sure. It used to be. I'm, I'm a little um, nervous about the other option, but you know. Yes, yeah, and that's fair. It, the the stakes got a lot higher as the as the uh, as the parties split and uh, rotate on the compass, if you will. Stakes are getting higher, but also I think uh, at the end of the day we can win. Now, uh, if I'm being blunt, the the war on college campuses in terms of ideology, I don't know if it is being won. Uh, that is something that we are fighting tooth and nail, and it's something that I think the more times we can get people out there. Or, here's the thing. This is how I'll describe it. Our biggest and strongest chapters uh, that have the biggest cultural impact on college campuses are those who are leading the SRCs, uh, the student rights campaign, all in. Mm. They find an issue. They say, this is tyrannical. Here, our college campus has an issue, and they're going out there. They're getting petitions. They're organizing rallies. They're talking to the administrator, and they're applying pressure. And, they're in, and when you build a movement like that, people start following, and you get people on your side. So uh, I think when we when we see that, at least on the college local level, in a sense, they, I think it also tells us how we win. And this was something I was thinking about talking to you about as well. It, the culture war as a whole, I think you win the culture war by dismantling the state and allowing people to live their lives freely. When they recognize what freedom is, I think people are much more prone to it. Uh, and yeah. uh, I think we need to take up some of these fights that are real fights, not just uh, peripheral culture, you know, the tail of the dragon, if you will. And we need to go straight for the head. And when people see that, I think they can follow. Yeah, strike the root, as as I am fond of saying, and we we do not mm, strike the yeah. root very often. Uh, yeah. Speaking <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, uh, is is it your opinion that the Federal Reserve is the root of the vast majority of our evils, or is there a greater evil? I, I guess it, this is mm. a debate a debate that can be had. It's like, is it the state as a whole? Because to me, the state is obviously evil, but I think that without central banking, the state falls. So it's kind of that's really the root to me. What do you think? Yeah, this is Mitch. You know, I was yeah, I was arguing. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a nerd. What can I do? Uh, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I was I was arguing on Twitter. This is classic with Ben Heckman, who's who's a very good friend of mine, by the way. Yeah, uh, I love. Ben. But he was saying, I I'm all in on uh, war is the is the is the most central evil, and and I I said back, and I got three likes, and he got two, so obviously I'm winning. Uh, but uh, I said no. War is caused by the Fed, so I, I'm kind of all in on the on the Fed camp. Um, I, I recently listened to oh, man, I forget his name, but uh, who wrote the Creature of Jekyll Island? Oh, is it G. Gordon Liddy or something like that? I can't remember. Okay, yeah, I, I put you on the spot for that one. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was I was listening to his video essay, and that's one of those mind blowing moments of like, oh my god, all the problems come back to the same, you know, few families who are making profit off of the failure of the state, right? So I think uh, I think if you go for the Fed, you end uh, you end sixty percent of the state's problems, and then I think the rest of the forty percent is these bureaucrats and incompetence. I think the right. Fed is the is the competent portion of the state. That's that's the way I'll put it. <laughs> I, I just had I just had this argument on my show yesterday where we were I was I was or actually it was my other show Tower Gang, but I, I was arguing that essentially the the government is only good at two things, and that's that's warfare and economic warfare, and that's basically <laughs> it. Like that's that's yeah. all they're good at, and everything else is just bureaucracy and bullshit, essentially. Um, by the way, I was I always get this wrong. I, I said G uh, Gordon Lydia's G Edward Griffin. I I don't know why I can't get that right. Anyways, <laughs> um, so so I, I wanted to go. to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, uh, I've been running promos for you guys on the door knocking program. I think it's I think it's mm. awesome. I mean, I, I I don't run ads for anything that I don't think is really valuable. Um, 
and I think this is really valuable. I mean, this is a, a, a way Absolutely. to funnel the energy of these rare, beautiful young people that love liberty. Like, I can't tell you how how important those people are to me because I was one of you at one point. You know, I'm now getting to be yeah. a, an old, old middle-aged man in my th late 30s. Uh, but I, I'm just so thrilled that these people still exist because for the longest time, it started to feel like it was all woke it was just all woke on, on college campuses. So tell me a little bit about that program and what you guys are doing. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and I, I, that rare breed of person who is willing to put aside uh, a good chunk of their life, go out there and fight for Liberty. I always call those Liberty warriors and yes, we need more of them. And uh, I mean, you always need more of those, but at the end of the day, it's one of those things where just one individual really dedicating can make so, so much impact uh, on these types of things. A lot of people talk about politics. Not a lot of people are going out there and actually making a difference. Uh, and yeah. when you do that, you, you can recognize how much more impactful you can be on that side of things. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Operation Went the Door started in 2018 uh, with the goal of uh, electing a bench of 250 state legislators that believe in the ideas of liberty. So, you know, Ron Paul, Thomas Massey, uh, Rand Paul types. Um, and the way we do that is, is we seek endorsements uh, by people fill out a survey if they're both principled and viable, meaning they could win, uh, or at least they, they can get themselves close enough that we can get them across the line. Uh, and obviously they follow through on the principal test, then we endorse them. And when, when we endorse them, we go out there and we knock doors for them, putting students on the ground uh, and mobilizing people. And it, it's extremely, extremely effective. I mean, knocking doors is still so, so effective. They're in, everybody wants door knockers. I don't know if you've noticed or, or paid attention online, everybody's hiring, everybody's paying money. Uh, it's because it turns out, it, it turns out votes, uh, that, that's how you win. Um, doors win wars in politics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no uh, one watches. Everyone's got DVRs. No one's watching ads anymore. Everyone knows that the political system is corrupt. So, like, it's really the the glad handing. Like, if you don't if you yep. don't meet with these people, you're just not going to persuade them. So, I think it's tremendously valuable. Yeah, it's the grassroots, and we've even done studies where we will target a list of voters, remove a couple hundred of those voters, and see how much more likely the people we knocked vote than the people that we didn't knock. Uh, we've shown we, we can increase turnout for our candidate by 11%. So if you think about wow. it, someone can get it within 45 to 55% uh, on their own, then we can get them to the 51 or 50% plus one vote line. Um, and we've done that. Like I said, uh, our, our bench is now at about 229 uh, people just based off the primaries from Tuesday. Uh, we expect to pass our goal of 250 by Revolution 2022. So that's going to be very, very big. Uh, oh, yeah. And then and then we'll see where we go from there in the general election. So it's going to be big. But the other side of this, too, and that and that part's extremely important. You have to get people in into the legislature that will propose the bills you want to propose. If uh, if everybody's a hack and there's a lot of states where everybody's awful and, and, and those states are not uh, we can have a debate if those states are worth fighting for. That's what I'll say. Um, but there are states out there. And that's one reason I am optimistic about the future of the liberty movement that are, are very close to being uh, almost free states. I mean, New Hampshire is an incredibly more free place to live than California or New York or Vermont. Uh, I mean, just period. And and the people there have considerably not even lives. close. <laughs> yeah, not, not even, even close. close. <laughs> not even close. And and the things which the federal uh, the things in which the Fed are limiting or oppressing those people by, we're starting to see free market solutions to right. Like if you ask me, Bitcoin is a free market solution to the Fed. Three uh, D printers are a free market solution to federal gun control. Um, so I, I think, uh, we're, we are slowly innovating our way out of, uh, out of tyranny, which is great. Um, and, uh, some of these states we need to, uh, we need to double down on like New Hampshire and turn those into truly free states. Uh, and by the way, we have, I think, let me think about this. If I get this right, I think about like a quarter of the legislators in New Hampshire 
are voting 90% of the time with uh, with us and, and, and on bills that we we like, which is why that state's been getting so much better rapidly, which Heck is yeah. great. Um, yeah, the, the you, guys, this, you guys plus the Free State Project, that it's a powerful yes. one-two punch. Yep, yeah, I mean, it, it, re it really is. Um, and uh, the other half of this too, other than just getting people elected, is you need to hold them accountable. I think this was a failure of past movements, getting people elected, hoping they stay good and hoping they keep their campaign promises. Uh, and then of course they flake once they're in there for about two years. So uh, that's where Hazlitt Action Program comes in. In the legislative years, we do what's called the Hazlitt Action Program. We identify bills we think we can push through, uh, get same same method, right? Get students on the ground, organizing the grassroots, knocking uh, doors, doing calls, getting people to call their legislators uh, and apply pressure, essentially saying something along the lines of, hey, I thought you were pro 2A, this piece of mail or this kid that just talked to me said, you're not gonna vote for constitutional carry, what's that about? Uh, and uh, like for constitutional carry in Texas, we knocked over 140,000 doors uh, and just collecting petitions, just getting people to call their legislator and uh, we pushed it through, even though it's been attempted wow. for several years. Last year was the first time we did that, hold the legislators accountable, make them fear for their jobs like they should be uh, and, and, and change the policy. And we've done that in Indiana, Alabama, uh, Kentucky, I, th I might get Kentucky wrong, but the rest for con carry, we've been doing it for school choice. Uh, we worked on that in Virginia. Uh, we uh, passed in Kentucky. Uh, we were working on that in, in Missouri. Uh, and we just did a bunch of, uh, oh, SAPA, Second Amendment Preservation Act, which is a federal nullification 2A bill in South Dakota we were pushing for. So the, the more free the state, the farther we can keep pushing that over to window, farther we can hold people accountable to their campaign promises and make sure that uh, uh, they, fear, they fear losing their election if they aren't voting in a way that they promised. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by careerhackers.com. If you are someone who is feeling Mm, tenuous at best in your job security. Well, I would highly recommend you go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the daily job hunt and prepare yourself to be a better job applicant, especially if you're just hanging on by a thread at your current job. Like take this small free step to put yourself in a better position to get a job when you need to. It's really that simple. Be proactive, okay? Just do it. Doesn't cost you anything careerhackers.com sign up for the daily job hunt get it for free in your inbox and learn how to stand out in the crowd and get that job of your dreams careerhackers.com enjoy part two of this incredible episode with dan taylor of young young americans for liberty i love it they fear reprisal is that is that exactly. named after is that named after henry hazlitt yes oh that's so cool you guys are my people <laughs> i love it um all right so uh, by the way, if anybody is listening and you're interested in, in helping, if you're a young, motivated person, you feel like you don't have a home, this is your home, yaliberty.org slash knock, that's K-N-O-C-K. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the uh, the Mises Caucus takeover. Uh, have you followed okay. it at all? Have you followed yes. it at all? And do you think that it is it is counter to your goals or is it an, ass an assist in a way? Mm. Yes. Yes. Uh, a very, very Wait, is that question. yes to both questions? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, okay. I'm saying yes to it being a good question. Uh, okay. So it, it, it's really interesting. So I try not to get too involved in, in the in that type of sway of things because I see them as a second prong to the liberty movement as a whole. Uh, sure. You know, there's a difference between holding politicians accountable, getting people elected, and a lot of the legislative stuff that we're doing. And I, and I would say I think they're doing more cultural shifts than they are legislative stuff. I hope they don't take offense to that, but I, I do believe that uh, their mission is to get a place and get a, a party that is talking the uh, the true principles of Ron Paul. Um, yep. 
and, and in that you, I see you read it right. Value. That is so, that is exactly uh, my goal. So <laughs> I have no problem with you right, saying it that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to make sure uh, someone, some some Mises caucus person doesn't come after me and suggest that uh, I was telling them they can't win elections. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah, I think no. their main purpose and their main value is uh, is is having a place that is is showing the true principles of liberty. So in which case. Um, you know, watching them from afar, I think they're a second prong. I think they're helping the, the cultural movement in the, in the nation as a whole. Uh, we're going to keep doing our thing. I'm sure they're going to keep doing their thing. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see where this goes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the last time the Libertarian Party has had a complete reset like this. So I, I, it will be very, I, or any political party. I don't know if anybody's had a complete reset like this. You know, what happens to, it's, it's kind of a, What's the uh, uh, the the proverb, the Chinese proverb, where if you replace a boat piece by piece, is it the is it a new boat or the same boat? Right, right. Yeah, that's kind of well, my question right now because you just I, replaced I think, the entire I, party. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a new boat. I really do. I, I mean, if you're yeah. if you're privy to you know our social media, if you're privy to all of our representatives, I mean, we are we are Ron Paul's people. Like it, it is the real mm -hmm. deal now, and it just happened overnight, like ten days ago. It was like okay, all of a sudden all of the state affiliates are all following me and they're all retweeting me. And I'm like, wow. All right. So this, wow. this is like, we're in control now. Cause I, I had never been retweeted by LP national, you know, in my life, much less followed by them. <laughs> and they've retweeted me like five times this past week. So, but you know, I, I'm just, I'm thrilled because to me, even though I think that it's obviously factual that running as a Republican is the easiest way to be elected as a Liberty minded person that probably won't change anytime soon. Um, it has always broken my heart that there hasn't been a uncompromising third party that demands, uh, you know, what we actually want to see in the world. And and I think that it can be beneficial on both sides. There's this constant fight between, uh, you know, the paleo strategy and the, you know, going the Republican route to get elected to, to try and implement liberty minded policies versus the principled, I'm going to be a libertarian and I'm going to run on the LP, even though if I have no chance of winning. And it's like, I don't think that this fight needs to be had anymore. Like, I think that if we all understand the jeopardy that we're in, then just let people proceed with what they find the most true to their soul. And if that is, you know, biting the bullet and running as a Republican, even even though you may disagree with uh, many of the higher ups in the Republican Party, I have no problem with that. And same with the Libertarian Party. If you can get elected as, you know, a, a very low level state uh, candidate, or if you can even in the you know great state of New Hampshire, if you can actually become a federal elected person, like it, mm. it's not impossible at this point because New Hampshire is so liberty oriented. Um, I just don't, I don't understand the fight. So anyways, I'm glad to hear that it seems as if your perception of it is, is in alignment with mine, that really what I'm about right now, because I don't believe that federal reform is possible uh, before we have complete economic collapse. I don't see, <laughs> I, I don't see any value in, in like really dedicating my life to trying to reform on the federal level, which is why I love Young Americans for Liberty, because you guys really hammer the state level politics. And I think that's really what we're doing is we're building lifeboats. It's going to, you know, I, I couldn't yeah. help but notice, but as you're talking about the college campuses where you guys have had success, you list South Dakota, Montana. I'm like, all right. So like we're talking liberty minded states anyways, you're not yeah. getting, it, it sounds like you're probably not getting a ton of stuff passed in New York and California, or, or am I wrong? Bills wise. Uh, like yeah. if you're talking about state level bills, no, no, not at all. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're focusing. So, uh, we're focusing on yeah. the free states, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're and you're making them more free, and I, I think that that's really the lesson of today. And, and just as you described earlier, where it's it's really become 
the you know anarcho-capitalist versus the communist like that's kind of the divide that's happening um i don't want to fight it you know i want to i want to embrace the fact that some of these people are they're going to fight us to the bitter end and i would rather just give them their own territory for which the, they can operate and they can run their their policies because as an anti-war person i'm not really even even if i think we could win the war it doesn't matter like i don't want i don't want it i don't want the war mm-hmm. I, I just want you guys to go have your fucking communist hellscape over there and let me have and capristan over here is that so much to ask just give me one fucking state all right sorry i'm, I'm getting <laughs> off, <laughs> no. i'm getting off track here anyways uh what do you what do you think uh this this plays out like it, it really feels to me like we're in the 1970s but we have so much more debt in the system that ultimately like the the division and the secession process in this country has already began in earnest, especially with the lockdowns, having everyone migrate to uh, less less COVID lockdown type places. Uh, do you think that's kind of the trajectory of things or, or am I overstating it? Yeah, I mean, the, the concept of a national divorce is becoming increasingly more popular by both sides, which is interesting. And it, 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 to me, it's really funny because we've had to go so far in politics, if you think about how crazy our system has gotten, just to get back to the original intentions of the framing of the Constitution. I mean, we were right. supposed to be, uh, you know, 50, well, at the time, 13 free states that could make right. its own decisions and govern its way in its own way and then allow the free market of, of just people to uh, mm-hmm. move in and out and determine what is the best system for them. And for some reason, and half of this is the conservatives' faults, half of this is the liberals' faults, uh, they kept adding more and more regulations to try to enforce, and I think a lot of this was culture-based, uh, enforce their their viewpoint, their way of life onto the others. So I think as we are begin to, as the, the rotation of the political compass between the parties, as I mentioned earlier, as that starts to set, I, I, I do think that's it's gonna end up in that place. And one thing, you know, I think it's worth taking a step back, looking at history, what happens to a state when it hits complete financial destruction, which is where our federal government is, uh, not to say it's a good thing, it's never pretty, but at the same time, you know, the states are going to be what ends up taking over. Local leadership usually, I mean, retains. So that's something to to consider. Uh, You need to continue to fight in your state policies. You need to continue to hold your politicians accountable because they're not just going to disappear when the, when when, you know, when the Fed collapses, that's going to be the leadership, same as it will be now. Um, and we need to ensure that they're being held accountable and that we have these free space or these free state lifeboats to live in. And not only that, but the short term benefits are still huge. You know, it's radically different to live in New Hampshire than New York or California or New Jersey. So uh, we need to continue to make Americans more free as we also prepare the lifeboats of uh, what the future is going to look like. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. And I, I do think that ultimately we end up coming apart a la the USSR. Um, and I think that the. <laughs> The, the more the more optimistic outlook is to say that well we're going to have these little states that are fighting back and and focusing on liberty-minded policies and things like that um, that you're gonna want those options like even if you don't th- even if you think I'm crazy and you don't think that that's what's coming why would you not want that lifeboat like if you're living in California right now and there's there's millions of people that are libertarian that live in California would yeah. you not like to have an option if California actually becomes the communist hellscape that I'm predicting it will become? Well, I think you probably do. So you might want to get on board and assist in this process so that you have that that escape hatch. Because if you don't have an escape hatch, look at what happened in fucking Canada, where they just said people can't leave, you can't own guns, you can't protest, you can't. Do, you have a social credit score, you have your tracking of your health. Yeah, you know, it was like it, they went full panopticon in like. 12 months it was unbelievable yeah. and that could, and that yeah. same thing had happened in australia same thing happened in new zealand it's like and those people couldn't 
leave the country. I don't know if people understand that. If you didn't get the jab, you couldn't fucking leave until like a couple weeks from now. Canada is finally going to free their people to actually leave the country. It's crazy. I don't think people understand how precarious and how close we are to full totalitarianism. And it is extraordinarily popular amongst a big percentage of this country. Like a big percentage, a horrifyingly oh, big yeah. percentage. Um, anyways, sorry. I, I don't even have a question there, but do you have any comments on that? <laughs> <laughs> now you're right. I mean, the one thing I just thought of is I, I know a lot of, uh, California is actually a pretty strong network for our students. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of libertarians in California. Uh, uh, there really is, but they're, I mean, they're just addicted to the sunsets there or the beach or something. I mean, I could never live in a state uh, as tyrannical as California. I'd rather go back to my hometown in Indiana and uh, tough it out in the winter, but uh... yeah. I do. I, I lived there for 37 years. I'm born and raised in San Diego, California. I absolutely, I'm telling you, the people are amazing, especially if you're not in like San Francisco or the worst parts mm -hmm. of LA. And there's so many, there's so many good people in California. Like it just gets a bad rap because that there is a you know a 65% stranglehold, but it's such a highly populated state. It's that sounds like oh there must be no liberty-minded people. No, that's 35% of you know, 20 million, 30 million, however many people are in California, that's a huge amount of people, but they just have no political say. Um, so that's, that's a, yep. another reason I started to become really uh, pro secession movements, because I was like, man, if, if San Diego could just break off from California, like, it would be so much better. Um, but yeah, now it's gonna, it's gonna go down with the ship, because there's no momentum in that direction. And I just, I just really hope that it doesn't get as bad as I think it will because I have a ton of relatives. I have most of my family still lives there. It's, it's tragic. Yeah, that's the same fight in all of human history and politics, which is uh, back to the Romans. If you look at, if if you follow Roman politics, it's the same thing. It's the it's the cities trying to make money off of the wealth of the the rural landowners and the, uh, which is is the same classic fight. So right, the the city's going to sink the rest of the the nation. Uh, how, how did that play out? I, I can't remember. How did that play out? <laughs> I don't think uh, it went really well. <laughs> well, uh, have you visited Rome recently? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you mean the ruins? Yeah, I, I've, uh, I'm familiar. <laughs> uh, so I, I hate to, to even you know broach this subject, but I would like to just get your feedback on what some people consider a controversy. I think it's kind of uh, overstated, but sure, uh, yeah. there, was, there was some text messages, screenshots that went around of what some people perceived as a defense of Liz Cheney. Obviously, anybody that's liberty-minded is not a fucking fan of Liz Cheney. So give me your two cents on this, if you don't mind. No, Liz Cheney's a war criminal, and uh, she oh. she's a puppet of the Fed. But uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and we all believe that here. So, of I mean, you, you know, it's a, that, that is a tough subject that's pretty awkward to talk about. And we, we try to avoid these things just because it's, you know, a lot of times they'll die off. You don't want to feed the trolls. You want to, we want to focus on our mission, keep our students uh, making an impact, keep our students fighting tyrants. Uh, but I mean, in that type of situation, it's all about context, it's all about messaging. It was an internal conversation about how to handle a message uh, that was kind of taken out of context or in subpar context. In the Liz Cheney situation, the only point was don't attack Liz Cheney for saying that the 2020 election was fair. Attack Liz Cheney for being pro-war, right? Mm -hmm. Attack attack the person you're going to attack. Attack the tyrants for being a tyrant. Don't attack them for some other reason. And that was the reason that was that that particular post that was in question was hey we shouldn't you know don't message in this direction it's because we have to uh we got to focus on a uh, real thing and you know this goes back to like hiding your principles at the same time right if you're going to attack somebody attack them for a principled reason don't make up some reason and look like a hypocrite later on uh and and also i just don't think it's young americans for liberties uh, uh 
focus and I don't want to get myself in trouble, but at the same time, I think talking about the validity of the 2020 election is is not the uh, forefront of the importance for the liberty movement. Uh, I mean, you can disagree with me with that. And it's, yeah. but I mean, look, there's bigger it's, things. It's arguable. It's arguable because yeah. it, it, if like, I think that there's there's an argument argument to be had that capitalizing on people's mistrust in the electoral process is probably to our benefit because if people start to not believe that they can democratically you know revive this system well then they'll probably start to think well i better get the hell out of california and move to texas or florida or new hampshire or wherever else and and start to you know build my safe haven for for those that still value liberty um but i understand i also understand your guys perspective i'm not saying it's wrong I, it's just like yeah. it's just it's just perception and, and it is it was a obviously a very hot topic over the past um you know year and a half I, I have I really don't have a firm stance on it. I've watched two thousand mules. I've done I've done all my research mm. to try and wrap my head around it. And I think that there's probably some arguments on on both sides as to like whether it whether it was actually flipped one way or the other. Um, but at the same time, like I don't really give a shit because Donald Trump <laughs> locked me in my fucking house and I despise him for it. So like I don't really <laughs> care. I don't really care to be honest. But at the same time, Biden is obviously worse. So like eh, there's arguments there too. Anyways, I don't even know what I'm saying. Yeah. I just. I just uh, is there is there any other um, issues because I know some people that used to work for you guys have come out just saying I, I don't like the trajectory of young Americans for liberty. Um, I still believe that what you guys are doing is so important and so powerful at the college level. I think it would be a huge mistake to abandon the the infrastructure that you guys have created. It's obviously you said you have twenty five thousand people that are dues paying members. That's that's phenomenal. Like. I don't think that the Libertarian Party has that many uh, dues-paying members. So, like that, I just I don't understand the logic in walking away from that. Um, what What's your take on their perception versus reality, and and your opinion? Yeah, and I, I mean, I fully agree with you. We'd never walk away from Ron Paul principles. I mean, he's the he's the whole reason I'm in this movement as well. I wouldn't have dropped out of college and, and dedicated my life to this stuff if it wasn't for Ron Paul in the first place. And also, just one note on the the Liz Cheney whole thing. Sure. regardless of anybody's take, and I'm not saying one way is correct or not, it's not our role to be uh, trying to look into the election integrity of 2020. Our role is focusing on the bills that we can pass, the legislators we can get elected, and also fighting the tyrants on college campuses. Uh, and that's our stake in the movement. I mean, I talked about how Mises has their prong. Uh, we have our prong. Our prong is holding politicians accountable to pass state-level legislation to make people more free. Uh, and I'm sure there's another prong that is also focusing on election integrity, but we're not a group of lawyers, so we shouldn't really be jumping in that fight. And by the way, since that point, we've attacked Liz Cheney several occasions over Ukraine, over the right. uh, multi-trillions of dollars of relief in COVID, uh, over the candidates that she endorsed against our candidates, by the way. Uh, so uh, she is an active threat to liberty, an active threat to us, and we fight her daily. But uh, that's a <laughs> but back on the, the people. So I, I really don't want to speak poorly about uh, other people in the movement. I do think there's sure. other people who have spoken who uh, have have a role in this movement overall even if uh even if it, that role isn't at yow um yeah. you know there are many prongs in this movement should be decentralized it should continue to be decentralized and i think that's the best way to hold each other accountable and, and move as a as a movement um so look i mean all, all i have to say is we're focusing on our principles just look at what's been happening uh on our facebook page or our twitter if you don't believe us uh if you don't believe that then just look at the bills that we're passing because you can't disagree with the bill constitutional carry multiple states uh, we've been attacking the COVID uh, tyranny as well as turning down some of the, the rules and systems that allowed COVID tyranny to happen in places like New Hampshire, school choice, 
uh, we've been fighting for, and, and there's quite a few other bills. I mean, I, I think I looked at it. There's been 1,122 pro-liberty bills uh, introduced by legislators in the past four years. That's like a crazy stat that people don't fully understand, but essentially half of these could be procedural changes. Half of these could be voting against uh, bad bills. Half of these could be, you know, all sorts of different things that are just the day-to-day, -day, uh, uh, you know, small changes for liberty that have to occur uh, on top of the big changes, like when you pass constitutional carry. So that's, you know, the proof is in the pudding in the sense of uh, this is what we're doing. This is what we're focusing on. Look at the bills that we're passing because they're good. Uh, yeah. That's what we're going to continue to do, you know? Yeah. The, uh, the results kind of speak for themselves. You guys are, are making a serious difference. And if I didn't think you were, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be interested in supporting you either, but I think yeah. you guys are great. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think you guys are, are really doing amazing work and it's vital. I just, I got to yeah. double down on that point. It is absolutely vital. Like the, the, the youth will e either set us free or imprison us all. <laughs> like that's, that's where we're going. Yeah, it's one or the other. <laughs> I, if you're a gambler, uh, you might be, maybe, maybe that's why I'm optimist about this. Maybe you're just uh, prone to gambling, yes. uh, but at least one of the options is good, you know? Yeah, no, man. I mean, I, I would still, uh, given our current trajectory, I would still rather have at least some options on that, you know, that die that says, okay, a little bit more freedom over here. Um, and we need, <laughs> we need to be, keep rolling those dice. So I, I wanted to, because you are my, my optimistic guest, I wanted to ask you, you said five to 10 <laughs> years, five to 10 years, you think that there's great reason for optimism. What do you think the country looks like five to 10 years from now? Say 10 years, 10 years. Where, where are we at if you had to guess? And I, obviously no one's going to hold you to this. No one could possibly know the, the future. Yeah, this is going to resurface in 10 years. Someone's going to call me an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, or, wow. you'll look like, or you'll look like a, a, you know, a psychic. So you never know. Yeah, I guess. You know, rolling the dice once again. Um, yeah. yeah, so, man, what a crazy thing. I think there's going to be a few states that are far more free than they are now. I think South Dakota. I think Montana, New Hampshire, Indiana, uh, uh, Kentucky is a pretty good state. Uh, you know, Kentucky yeah. is one of those, uh, the best of the best and the worst of the worst. You have McConnell and Rand who Weird. get elected in the same year. So. And, and um, Bashir, they have this crazy Bashir, governor. Yeah. And then they have the, like the most badass senator and congressman. It's bizarre. Yeah. And by the way, look out for Savannah Maddox, who was our, our third endorsed uh, state representative that we, that we helped get elect uh, back in 2018. She just announced her run for governor too. So she's coming after Bashir. Uh, nice. but, but anyway, so I think there's gonna be the, a few of these states that become far more free. I think there's no way that we don't start to see a slow change to, towards states' rights. Uh, I don't think it's anybody's interest. I think both the left and the right, uh, as they become more extremist, are going to realize how untenable this whole situation is. I think the real question is, uh, what will the Federal Reserve do about that? I think it's the only competent arm of the government, uh, which is also has the branch of war. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just to add on to that, and so and uh, competent. I mean, it, it kind of. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you know, and that's part of the it's part of the creature of Jekyll Island thing, right? So uh, I think the Federal Reserve is extremely competent at doing what its real goals are, which is making them rich. Uh, exactly. I don't. <laughs> if, yeah, if it's not it's not maximizing employment and stability of the currency. That is certainly not yeah. their actual goal. Yeah, absolutely not. And you know that that's one thing that I think the uh, the the Federal uh, Reserve uh, apologist will say is is the the Federal Reserve is just incompetent and they're bad at keeping the economy straight. No, I think they're great at what they do, and I think uh, their job is to uh, uh, squeeze as much money out of us as they can. Yeah, um, and to entrench the power amongst the powerful. There yeah, they're they're kicking right, ass right. at that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, but anyway, so I think I, I think there has to be a slow move towards state rights. I'm wondering, based off of the current Supreme Court set, I'm wondering if that's going to be a good place to start un, unraveling some of the stuff. I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing some more people on the left start leaning towards that. Uh, that's been a traditionally right issue, but I'm wondering if there's going to be more people on the left that start to begin to move towards that as well. California and New York seem to have no interest in being ruled by Donald Trump again. Uh, so that, that that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we either get to there's only two options here. It's either the state realizes, and what I mean by the state, the federal state realizes that uh, it, it can't continue at its current trajectory uh, and starts to disassemble itself or maybe uh, decentralize itself and try to find a new way to make funds safely. Uh, either that or I think we're going to have a, a, a economic collapse for the, uh, for the uh, millennia. And uh, that's going to lead to uh, the states having their own rights as well anyways, but maybe just with a lot more debt. So that's, a, that's the sad way to look at it. Uh, but either way, I think state rights are going to reign. I think so too. Uh, and, and as I said, this is why I'm optimistic. I, I think that it's going to be a very hard transitionary period. Um, but I think it would be totally blackpilled to not pay attention to all of the increasing liberty minded policies that are, are happening in, you know, five or six States that are really, really improving while everything else is kind of deteriorating. Not to mention, uh, I don't know if you mentioned, I, I didn't catch it if you did, but the the potential for decentralized currency uh with what, whatever you're a believer in bitcoin bitcoin Satoshi yeah. vision or whatever whatever option you are a believer in i think that those te technological innovations are are really undermining the the current power structure i think that's part of the reason that the state has become increasingly tyrannical of late is that it is sensing it whether they know it directly or not i think many of the people at the federal reserve know it for sure um that this is a direct threat to their power structure and how they've run, ran things for the past hundred plus years. And it's just not sustainable. And they're going to, I mean, this is always the push pull of things where it's either going to be that they go full totalitarian and they try and ban everything and they try and lock us down and do whatever it takes to hold on to their power, in which case there's probably some sort of revolution. Um, or they, they realize the writing on the wall and they, they decide, okay, we're just going to, we're going to let these, intransigent liberty-minded assholes go and we're going to focus on ruling you know the californians and new yorkers of the world <laughs> i think i think that's really how that's the decision they have to make and we'll see what they what they choose i don't know yeah i and i think bitcoin is probably the biggest threat to them and when i say them again i think that the competent arm of the state being the federal reserve with the department of war i think bitcoin is the biggest threat that they've had uh in probably their existence so it'll be interesting to see how they attempt to tackle that but i, I do think we are innovating our way out of uh, tyranny in a lot of ways so yeah uh in that end i think it's, it's pretty positive hell yeah man all right well thank you so much dan as long as people like you are involved in yell i am very hopeful for the future i really think that um, you know, the young people that are out there that are, are espousing the beautiful ideals, uh, ideals of Ron Paul and his predecessors. Uh, it's just, I can't overstate or yeah, I can't overstate the value. I cannot overstate the value. I, I really appreciate your <laughs> efforts. Uh, I hope you don't mind too much of a back padding, but it, it's just so important what you guys are doing. So please keep up the fight. Tell people how they can follow you. Any other information you'd like to leave with my audience? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'm just a desk jockey. Uh, it's the kids who are out there on the campaigns, knocking the doors and uh, on the college campuses, fighting the bureaucrats that really deserve the pat on the back. And I'm really hoping to uh, give a, a thorough thank you at Revolution 2022 for that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I plan on having some of this, these newer awards called uh, the Torchbearers of Liberty Award. 
and uh, to give those off to a few of these students who have really just exemplified what it means to be someone who's out there constantly trying to kick the teeth in of the state, fight back against the Leviathan. Uh, but speaking of Revolution 2022, uh, I don't care about social media. I don't care about myself. Uh, so let's focus on uh, getting everybody together at Revolution 2022 yeah. instead of promoting me. So at Revolution 2022, there's, we're going to have a live podcast. We're going to have you uh, already, mar already locked in. Yeah, Clint Russell. I uh, already locked in Mark Clare to be on that as well with you from Lions of Liberty. And I also already locked in Reed Coverdale. So uh, the three of you. Uh, My husband. Thank God. Oh, that night. Re <laughs> reunited at last, you know. Uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to see the family stay together. I love, uh, I love those guys. That's, that's going to yeah. be so fun. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to let any cats out of the bag, but trust me, folks, the, the, the speaker list, which I don't even think is fully public yet is going to be amazing. You do not want to miss it. How can people get tickets to it? Uh, whyliberty.org slash revolution, uh, Perfect. is where you can uh, apply. This is invite only. So, uh, not everyone's going to get in. We sold out last year and there was like, I mean, we had over 3,000 people apply to get a ticket. Only like 1,100 were allowed. We sold out like really early. So uh, make sure to get on that. Lots of urgency. And I, I'll tell you who we do have uh, officially announced. We have Kennedy. We have Ron Paul. Uh, we have Larry Reed. We have Michael Malice. We have Dave Smith. Uh, and I'm, I'm blanking a number of other ones, but uh, it's 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 going to be uh, it's it's going it's to be very very awesome. We're going to have a lot of students there. It's going to be great to just really uh, celebrate our students, allow them to kind of meet some of these liberty heroes, get everybody together, and uh, recognize that uh, maybe maybe it's time for a little bit of optimism. And that's something I think Ron Paul talks about a lot uh, in this movement. It's time to get the radicals together and realize that we have a winning avenue. Uh, couldn't agree more. I was there last year. That was kind of like my my first stop on my, or actually one of my first stops on my my national tour. Um, nice. And, and I can't tell you how how much more optimistic I was after seeing all those thousands of college kids that are like sitting there chanting and the Fed and like uh, Glenn Jacobs up awesome. there. And I mean, it's just it's just an amazing experience. It, it really does. It brings me back. It makes it because I'm such an old head now. I get to like actually reminisce on the 08 and 12 days with Ron Paul and to see that that is alive and well. It really shows the power of his message, the power of that movement, the power of liberty, the fact that like people are decades later, this is still a thing and it's growing. I mean, it's really, it's, I think that, I think that the next two years, uh, especially with the, you know, we, as we've described it, the, the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. I think it's going to be a really incredible time to be alive. So I'm as as pessimistic as I am. I am still very optimistic <laughs> about the uh, the the experiences that we're going to have. And I think that ultimately, you know, the economy and everything that's happening with the federal government, like it's going to be what it's going to be. We still have the option to choose community and choose love and choose positive momentum and movement. And uh, I think that Young Americans for Liberty is doing it. So thank you again for coming on, man. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, obviously, sometimes these interviews aren't for everybody. Like if you're not a college activist or uh, if you're, you've already made up your mind about Yale or whatever, then uh, sorry, you know, you didn't enjoy it. You're probably not watching anymore anyways. But for those that stuck around, I hope that it, uh, it made an impact. I hope that you guys felt inspired. I, I needed some optimism and Dan provided that. So I really appreciated that. Uh, if you want to add some additional optimism to my life, you can go to either toplobster.com, pick up some Liberty Lockdown shirts so you can let people know about the show, or go to libertylockdown.locals.com to support my work. I will see you again next week with a very special guest, and you're not going to want to miss it. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. 
Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copied the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky smooth time was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic I rip a 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get them off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe